0: Today, the title of the message is Focus on God. Um, Last few weeks, uh, we've been talking about our relationships with Jesus and with God. Uh, A couple of weeks ago, we talked about Isaiah 6, and we talked about... Am I in the middle now? Okay. Uh, We talked about uh, how Isaiah was given a task uh, to speak to God's people. But God said, you know what? They're not going to listen. But speak to them anyway. Because there's a remnant out there that wants to hear the truth. It wants to be closer to God. And so I know Pastor Mark, Pastor Zeke, and myself look at you guys on Sunday mornings and we see that remnant. Those that want to do what God wants them to do and want a deeper relationship with God. So as we continue through this this series, we want you to understand who God is and whom you belong to, and that so often relationships are more important than head knowledge. So would you pray with me and pray for me? Gracious Heavenly Father, we come this morning giving thanks as we join you in your message. We give thanks that you dwell among us, Father. So may the May our hearts be open to you. May the words of my mouth be pleasing unto your sight, Father. Remove me from the equation that would be your message, Father. Make this all about you. In your son's name, amen. So what does it mean to be focused on something or focused on someone? When we're focused, uh, when we're dating, we are really focused. Uh, When we are... uh, when, if you're involved in a crime, I used to, I, I found this amazing when I first became a police officer. Somebody would get robbed and we would ask them, so what did the guy look like? And they go, the, the barrel of the gun was this big. And we said, so what color shirt was he wearing? The barrel of the gun was this big. And so uh, what did he say? The barrel of the gun was this big. We are focused on something that was extremely important at that time. And we get focused uh, when we're watching our kids. I I hope we are very focused when we're watching our kids. And there are those of you in this room that are so focused when you play pickleball, it is probably disgusting. And you focus on that because you have a purpose in mind, and that is to win. And those that are playing baseball, they're focused on winning. And the old adage of keep your eye on the ball doesn't really mean what it says. It doesn't mean let the ball hit you in the eye. It means to say, stay just focused. And you focus on your job. You, you want to get a job done. And you want to do it right. And I think we will agree that the more you focus, the better you do whatever it is that you're trying to do. Your accomplishments, the end goal, is what your focus is on, which is the purpose of the job of the romance, of the game, uh, of whatever it is, shouldn't we be very, very focused on our eternal life? And yet so often we want to live in the moment. So this morning we want to spend some time on focusing on God and how we should be doing that. The Bible records God accomplishing his purpose with his people and in genesis we see that he does it this through abraham you see the focus of the bible is god the essence of sin is a shift from god's purpose and god's centeredness to self-centeredness the essence of salvation is the denying self of self instead of affirming self we must return to god's god-centeredness in our lives then we are in a place where God can accomplish his will through us. So I want to start off by talking about self-centeredness and what that is. And this is just a brief overview, guys. But self-centeredness focuses on self. It's all about me. It's always about me. Self-centered life shows that we're proud of self and we're proud of our accomplishments. We're very quick to pat ourselves on the back when we do something good. And you know who else is quick to pat us on the back and tell us what a great job we did? Satan. Even when we're mediocre with something, he'll tell us we're doing a good job, as long as it's not focused on God. In fact, he'll busy us in God's work and tell us what a great job we're doing. A self-centered life is self-confident. Look at me and what I've done. I'm confident when the reality is I'm very prideful. Self-centered life depends on self and your abilities. I don't need anybody. I can do this myself. In fact, we live that Frank Sinatra song, I did it my way. Self-centered life affirms self want the job done right do it yourself I'm that good self-centered life seeks to be a seeks an acceptance into the world and its ways look at me look at what I did and it's far better than what other people have done self-centered life looks at the circumstances from a worldview we measure ourselves by others we go, you know what, I'm a better Christian than Bob because I'm there every Sunday. Bob doesn't volunteer every once in a while, so I am better. So that's the bar that we have for ourselves, and so we're above that bar constantly. That's not the bar God has for us. And self-centered life chooses selfish and a worldly living for us. We want to be accepted by everyone rather than being right so often. We begin to conform to the world itself. So what does a God-centered life look like? A God-centered life has confidence in God. We trust in him and his promises. A God-centered life depends upon God and his ability. You see, it's not about me. In fact, it has never been about me. A God-centered life focuses on God and his activities. We so often ask God why when we should be asking God, what are you doing, and how can I join you? How can I help you? A God-centered life makes us humble before God. You see, we finally come to realize that without you, God, I am absolutely nothing. As Paul puts it so well, count everything a loss unless it's with God it's all trash God-centered life denies self in other words we get out of God's way God-centered life seeks first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and we seek that obediently and we seek it immediately you see we understand who God is That he's the sovereign God, the creator of everything, and the one that's in control of all things. A God-centered life seeks God's perspective always. And all that simply says is we live a Christ-like life. We seek God's opportunities. Thus, we seek the Father's will in our life. And a God-centered life chooses holy and godly living. We make the choice, the conscious choice, to be what God needs us to be. To know and to do God's will and to experience Jesus' true love, you must deny self and return to a God-centered life. You see, self-centeredness is a subtle trap because it makes sense out of a worldly perspective. To live a God-centered life, you must focus on God's purposes, not your plans, not your desires. When God starts to do something in the world, he takes the initiative to reveal his will to his followers. And you're going to hear more about initiative next Sunday from Pastor Mark. It is, it is his merciful love that makes him choose to involve his people in accomplishing his purpose. Did you hear your importance there? It is his merciful love that makes him choose to involve his people in accomplishing his purpose. John 12, beginning in verse 24, reads, I tell you the truth, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. The man who loves his life will lose it, while the man who hates his life in this world will keep keep an eternal life. Some things must die to be productive. Certain seeds will not germinate into a plant unless they freeze during the winter. Jesus knew that his death would bring salvation to the world. You see, often it is in the celebration of a loved one who has passed that we realize how loving God is, even in death. The moment you gave your life to Christ, your sinful nature died. Romans six six says, "For we know that our old self was crucified with him, so the 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 body. So with him, so that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin. But see, there still remain some sinful aspects of our character, some that have not gone to their graves willingly." So let me ask you a couple of questions. Before you came a servant of God, were you self-centered? And you may discover now that you still have some selfishness lingering in your life when you ought to be free to share the blessing that God has given you through your forgiveness. After all, you freely received that blessing, so you should freely let go of it. Maybe you had a violent temper before you accepted Christ, and now as a believer you experience moments when anger is well up inside you. Or maybe you were driven by ambition before, and yet you still find yourself with the same motivation to strive for recognition and for a position, maybe in a job, or maybe it's even in God's kingdom as James and John did. God's purpose for our lives is an ongoing process. You will have trials, and during those trials it is very important that we strive to be Christ-like, not always trying to be right, but trying to be loving to those around us. If these sinful attitudes are allowed to remain alive, they will stifle the fruits of the Spirit your temper may prevent you from coming to Jesus. Your selfishness may, will hinder you from blessing those around you. Your ambition could cause you to use others to get something that you want. Your need to control will, can ruin the growth of relationships. You and your family may be suffering because some of these areas of your life that you have never allowed Jesus to put to death. You know, it is so futile to say, well, that's the way I am. In reality, your statement should be, that's the way I was. I used to be that way. That person died with Christ, and you are now a new creation. Second Corinthians 5.17 says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation, and the old has gone, and the new has come. Allow God to complete his work in you and see what fruit your life produces. You see, we must focus our lives on God's purpose, not on our plans. Seek to see life from God's perspective, not from the world's outlook. Let God show you what He is about to do in and through you. Watch and see what God is doing around you and join him. You may remember the story that I told a few Sundays ago about Carla Faye Tucker, uh, someone that murdered... People, I think I shared that Melanie had the dubious distinction of taking photos of a horrific, horrible, violent murder scene. While Carla Faye Tucker was on death row in Gatesville's women's prison for this murder, some believers led her through a Bible study, and she was changed. She began to teach other inmates on death row about this Savior she learned about and about God's forgiveness. Carla was executed for her crime, but her testimony affected a nation and touched the world. You see, true repentance is hard, and it's a struggle for us. But forgiveness is a gift from God, and it brings change, and it brings joy. You know, there's so many examples in God's word about his plans versus our plans. You see, God chose Moses to be in a relationship with him so that he, God, could deliver Israel. But what if Moses would have been one of those where he wanted to assert himself on the people? He wanted to make it about me. Look at the second chapter of Exodus, beginning in the 11th verse, and we see Moses having that moment. One day after Moses had grown up, he went out to where his own people were and watched them in their hard labor. He saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, one of his own people. Glancing around this way and that and seeing no one, he killed the Egyptian and hit him in the sand. The next day he went out and saw two Hebrews fighting. He asked the one in the wrong, why are you hitting your fellow Hebrew?" The man said, who made you ruler and judge over us? Are you thinking of killing me as you did the Egyptian? Then Moses was afraid and thought, what I did must have become known. When Pharaoh heard of this, he tried to kill Moses, but Moses fled from Pharaoh and went to live in Midian. What would have happened if Moses would have tried to free the Israelites his own way? Well, there would have probably been thousands and thousands of Israelites that would have been killed. You see, when God delivered his people, not only were the Israelites not lost, but God even led the Egyptians to give some some of their gold and silver to them as they left. What a difference it makes when we focus on and obey God. He receives the glory, and his will is done his way. I want to look at the 81st chapter of Psalms and I want to look at four verses but I want to break them up first I want to look at verse 10 through 12 God says I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt open wide your mouth and I will fill it but my people would not listen to me Israel would not submit to me so I gave them over to their stubborn hearts to follow their own devices so what had God done for Israel Well, he brought them out of Egypt. How did the people respond? They didn't listen. They didn't obey. So what did God do? Well, it was simple. At free will, he turned them over to their own free will, their own devices. It kind of goes back to what we heard in Isaiah 6, where Isaiah is to speak to his people about what God wants, what God needs. And God says, they're not going to listen to you. But I want you to say it anyway, because there are those that will listen. When God's people decided that they needed a king, they reached out and we said, we want King Saul. God said, well, that's not my first choice, but if that's who you want, you got it. Read down then to the next two verses, and we see the same God, but other opportunities Psalms 81, beginning in verse 13. If my people would but listen to me, if Israel would follow my ways, how quickly would I subdue their enemies and turn my hand against their foes? What would happen if they obeyed God? Victory. Victory and the opportunity to give him the glory. You see, we are his servants, and we adjust our lives to what He's about to do. Understanding what God is about to do right where you are is more important than telling God what you want to do for him. So often we tell God, I want to be this. I want to be a doctor. I want to be a missionary. I want to be a pastor. I want to be whatever. rather than just simply saying, God, I want to be yours. Put me wherever you need me. And when you get into that profession that you have longed for for so, so long, and God wants to move you out of that to do something else for him, we want to tell God to mind his own business. Because I'm happy where I am. You want me to be happy. I've seen in scripture where it says you want me to be happy. So I'll stand on that one part of that one verse. You see, God will accomplish more in six months through a people who choose to yield to him than those same people could do in 60 years on their own. Be God's servant. Adjust your life to what he's about to do with you. Have a relational prayer life with God. Spend some time with him. Be honest with him. He knows your heart. Yield to him, to what he's doing. Don't make prayer time just a laundry list of what you need and what you want to do. Make it at a prayer time of seeking forgiveness and repentance and listening to him. He may be slow to speak. There may be silence in your prayer. It's okay. He's still listening. And he may tell you there's some things you need to change in your life. And we, as we do so often, come up with excuse after excuse that it's not my fault. Way too often we sense God's movement in our lives and we produce a large list of reasons why he has enlisted the wrong person or how his timing is just awful look at Exodus 3:11 but Moses said to God who am i that i should go to pharaoh and bring the israelites out of egypt and then in the fourth chapter the first verse of exodus Moses answered what if they don't believe me what if they will not listen and say that the lord did not appear to you you see how moses has suddenly made it about himself You see, we often build up events and then we panic over what might happen instead of trusting God. Because usually what we worry about happening doesn't happen. You see, very simply, we just don't trust God and his promises. So we should go where he leads us. Trust him to supply the courage, the confidence, and the resources. And this last part is very important. At the right moment. Sometimes we go, I- I'm going to trust you, God. But I need you to do this right now. God's revelation of his activity is an invitation to join him. Philippians 2.13 says, it is God who works in you to to will and to act according to his good purpose if a purpose if a person is accepted Jesus Christ as their savior the god has deposited in them the seed of a divine nature inside that seed lies spiritual potential that will grow. When a seed of corn hits the ground, it has the potential of producing a, stock and a stalk and several ears of corn. A, a watermelon seed hits the ground; it has the possibility of being something huge, much bigger than that seed. Or if an acorn hits the ground, it has the potential to be a big oak tree. You see, that planted seed now grows with the help of water and sunshine, into something much different than it was before, and that is your new creation in Jesus Christ. But they must go through that process, and it won't be without pain. You see, all sovereign God's providence or his governance over all events is to ensure his will is done. He takes what we call luck, chance, mistakes, happenstance, and stitches them all together together to achieve his purpose. He integrates and blends events to fulfill his will and his original design. A true relationship doesn't happen. It deepens with trust. And how do you feel when you let a friend down? What do you do when you do not feel like obeying God? A relationship with God helps you obey him and gives us the power to do what he wants. To be Christ-like, we must train ourselves to think like Christ. To do what needs to be done, to have a relationship with him, begins with understanding his ways. We need the power of that indwelling spirit, not just an exposure, not just saying, "I, I have the Holy Spirit within me, but understanding and being obedient to what God calls us to do. We need to trust in him and follow him, and he will share what he is doing. So my question is, are you working diligently on your faith, realizing that only God can bring the lasting changes to your lives, or are you including yourself in some of those changes, that prideful self that we have? As we see God at work in us, we are motivated to do more for him. God will not force his change on our lives apart from the work of the Holy Spirit. When you sense God developing an area in your life, join him. Join in his activity, his salvation. You know, Jesus prayed for his disciples, and he prays for us. In John 17, beginning in the 25th verse, Jesus prays, Righteous Father, the world has not known you. However, I have known you, and these have known that you sent me. I made your name known to them, and will make it known. So the love you have loved me, the way you have loved me, may be with them, and I may be in them. You see, Jesus prayed that God would place the same love in his disciples that he had. Jesus knew that there was no other motivation that would be sufficient for the assignments that God was about to give them. God's answer was to place the Holy Spirit within us. It's important to be Filled with that Holy Spirit, that reliance on God. When our youngest son was about four, he stayed with my mom and dad uh, during the day. And one day, my dad in his late 70s decided he was going to rotate the tires on his car. And he did it the old-fashioned way. He would jack one up, put the spare on it, take that one and move it, in the, the left rear to the right front. And after he'd done two of those, my mom said, Tyler watched intensely as he worked on these tires. And when he got to the third one, he said, Grandpa, I can do that. So my dad put the the, uh, tool on there and said, go ahead. And so Tyler, standing up because he was a little guy, straining and trying to get this, to break that uh, lug nut, and he looked over his shoulder and he says, Grandpa, I can do this, but you got to help me. And my mom said, I wish I had a picture of this. She said, the precious moment was your dad going over there, putting his hands on Tyler's, and then taking that lug nut off. You know, you can look at that two different ways. You can look at that God saying, I can do this, but I need you to help me. Or you can say, God, I can't do anything unless you help. You see, we depend upon him. You will be incapable of ministering to everyone God puts in your path unless you have his love. Seek to know the Father and his immeasurable love. Then allow the Son to love others through you. This is God's truth. John 8, 32 says, you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. There are so many truths in God's word and there are so many truths supposed truths in this world today. Philippians 4.13 says, I am able to do all things through him who strengthens me. Romans 8.28, God works things for his good. In 1 John 1, 1.9, confess your sins. God is faithful to cleanse. God's truth never restricts you. It always sets you free. It's the one thing to know about truth. Your feelings are not always God's truth. But it's another thing to experience the truth of God being worked out in your life. God's truth will will have no effect on you unless you accept it, unless you believe it completely. You have read accounts of God's working in other people's lives. But have you allowed God to implement his truths in your lives? remember a couple of Sundays ago we talked about trust and I asked you who you trusted in your life who do you trust with your kids who do you trust with your money that may have been a far stretch for for so many of us but who do you trust And we talked about how those in the military and those in law enforcement and those firefighters trusted those that they work with with their lives the first disciples trusted Jesus completely from the very beginning In the first chapter of John, beginning about midway through the 38th verse, we read, they said to him, Rabbi, where are you staying? Come and you will see, he replied. So they went and saw where he was staying, and they stayed with him. Esteban, as we continue to walk through this relationship with Jesus, there will be moments when you will stand at the crossroads with our Lord. You may have a hundred questions for him. You may not understand what is happening. But Jesus may say to you, put on your shoes and trust me. Follow me down this path. Or he may say, get out of the boat and walk on water. As we walk with him, the answers to your questions will come. And you will discover far more than those questions that you ask. You see, it's about God's will and his purpose for you. In experiencing life through him. So I'll end with the same question I began with. Where is your focus in life? If it's not been on God, change that today before you leave. We have prayer partners in the back that will pray with you. Pastors would love to have an opportunity to pray with you, pray for you. But don't leave here unchanged. It's not an accident that you're here today to hear this message. You see, he loves you and he wants a one-on-one relationship with each of you.